You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Tanya Pinkins. Welcome back for part two of my conversation with co-founder of the non-traditional casting project, Harry Newman. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, visit me at bpn forward slash you can't say that. I went to a 50-50 by 2020 event that Jill Soloway sponsored. And she got up and she said, you know, if you call me she, I won't be offended. But if you call me they, I will feel like you saw me. She said, because I feel like our cultural definition of men or he and our cultural definition of her or she is too small for what I am. Right. And I had this like light bulb go off for me when she said that because I was like, I feel the same way. Right. And so I, you know, I reached out to her and I was like, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cis woman. I like to have sexual relations with people who are different, you know, different biologically than me genitally, but would it be a misappropriation for me to go around saying they, that that's my, my pronoun? Right. And, and, you know, she, she felt that it was not. And she referred me to a website that I can't recall right now for me to, to learn more about this. But I felt very strongly like, yeah, I'm bigger than what she is defined as in my world. And I'm bigger than what he is defined in my world. So when my, we have to do, you know, gender questions at the first day of class at NYU, which I, I think it's just such a waste of time. It's that, it's that Daniel King thing where, you know, people think... We, we try to come up with solutions. Our, our brain wants to come up with the easy fix, the easy solution. So the solution to gender fluidity is we just ask people what their pronoun is, and then it's solved. And the fact is, when you're that young and you're in college, you don't know what your pronoun is. You're still figuring right. things out. And there are people who you can look at them, and they're using a certain pronoun, but it doesn't define who they are. They're just using words that work in, in the world that they're in. So, you know, I just decided my pronoun is D for diva. <laughs> <laughs> I would, and I would, that's pretty funny. But, and I would argue, let's dispense with pronouns entirely and be that fluid. I'm with you. What, that would be going back. I mean, like, Not necessarily. The, in the Great Iroquois Confederacy, they had like 27 different genders. Right. As a writer, I have trouble with using the pronoun they. I read poetry websites, and the bio would be a very good writer who I don't, I can't think of an example, but um, the pronoun being used in the bio was they, but they're talking about an individual. And to me, as a writer, that's that's a bent, I can see the seams of the language being bent in ways that uh, 
I think as uh, casually in the street is one thing, but in terms of or you know in a classroom, but as uh, in a writing setting, a writer writing their bio to go with their poems in this journal's website, I start to find that a little bit. It just doesn't feel right to me. I'm talking purely linguistically. Right, but I think that's because we're old. Because I think we're going to see a whole generation of plays where the they, them, their pronoun is going to be used. And our brains are going to have to adjust to that. But that's also just the beginning, though. So in a few more years, everyone will be defining their own language so totally we wouldn't be able to communicate and have plays with each other as because why stop at they? It could go on. I'm just talking, again, linguistically. I agree with you. It could keep going on. Right. So diva might be a D will be a pronoun. I think a lot of people are going to claim that one. Billy Porter probably will. Jordan, you know, Roth, they'll be claiming the D pronoun. (laughs) And it all started here. (laughs) Well, I I have to say that, you know, one of my, um, one of my pet peeves, oh, I'm doing, I'm going to say what you can't say. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Is that I do think that biology matters. And, I don't think a trans person, no matter which way they're going, becomes the biological gender that the other thing is. I just don't. And I feel like for me as a woman, because we are so limited in what we get anyway, for another group of people to want to come and claim some of the rights of women, which are so few to begin with, that feels like a transgression for me. Like, we don't have that many rights. Now we got to share them with people who used to be patriarchs? I have a problem with that. <laughs> I, I I can't really say. Well, I mean, I have to think more about it. But I mean, I I, I hear your problem uh, with it. You're definitely troubled. I can I'm say. Tr- definitely. Um, but I, I mean, to me, it might speak towards what I was saying a few minutes ago, which is I don't know how to say this exactly. But someone who is there is a an immediate. I, well, there seems to be, from my you know, outside the community sense, that there's an immediate grabbing for a label as trans woman, as opposed to adopting something that can't quite be defined as female or male. And yes, and so that would be interesting to me, uh, and I think socially more challenging than trying to fit that every person who takes that step into the into the female mold, if you will. Uh, now, some people may want that, and that, but, but it seems like that's the only choice now, or again, from the outside. I'm not part of that community, but we all have friends who you know, are part of that community, so I have, you know, but it's, I don't know what motivates it has to be that one choice, it seems, but maybe there are people who have make, uh, speak and feel and communicate well, more broadly, but I don't really know. But that know. gets us back to this biology thing that you were saying I was limiting my student with. Yes. It's like he is a man. I will happily allow him to imagine himself to be anything. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to put a limit on it. But he is a man, and there's some things he knows that I don't know because of his biology. And right. there's some things I know that he doesn't know because of his biology. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that trans people know that I don't know because their biology is a whole other biology mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to limit any of it. Right. I want to have more and more and more more ways rather than, you know, cut the pie. Well, that's sort of what I'm saying. You're, you're getting backing into what I was saying earlier, which was that you're, you're saying he has to, he's the, he, a boy wouldn't be allowed into that setting of this play I don't know anything about. That's true. But, but why? why? Why just accept in the terms of because this classroom? Because the playwright wrote it. But in terms of this classroom, 
Uh, because I'm the teacher and I say so. Well, that's something different. That, but again, that's you might correct. be hitting against I'm your, the teacher and I say so. But that may be hitting against your limitations is what I was saying earlier. I'm agreeing with you. Right. I might have a limitation. Right. I mean, as I said, if he had just not told me what he couldn't do and right. said what he could do, I that, would have been fine. That could be a very good talk at the first day of class beyond the pronouns and say, don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what... You know, what you can Whatever do. they tell me they can or can't do, I'm going to make them do it. Like, you know, I'd make them tell me their pet peeves and then I push all of them. Because as actors, that becomes like fodder for like your work. Right. Yeah. Like that's we, I, I, I say to my students, the more you're suffering, the more the audience is loving it. That's the job description. Like, mm. don't tell me about you don't want to be triggered. Mm. That's the job description. People pay to watch us go through things they don't want to go through. Right. It's cathartic for them. Right. I'm really glad we're talking so much about class, by the way. We didn't have to only talk about class. We could talk about anything I wanted to talk about. And, and, and you know, that's, I know that you also have this background in the non-traditional casting society. Right. And that's a big thing for me as well. Right. So... Yeah. Yeah, I'm here to talk about anything. Good. Uh, once I was at a, at, what do you call it? A, um, so here's another one of my limitations. You just made me think of one. I went to the this EEOC meeting, and it was plays on Black History Month. And there were no POC people who had submitted plays on Black History mm. Month. And so that that in and of itself was like, Who's running this committee that you don't even know any POC people to get a play from them? Because I could like pick up my phone and call a bunch of POC people and they got plays. Mm -hmm. So that was my first annoyance. But then my next annoyance was that like one non-POC person had written two plays. And one was called Mary Todd Lincoln and Her Dressmaker. I thought my head was going to explode. I, I did. I really, I was like, if they produce that play, I'm going to pick at it. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, first of all, Mary Todd Lincoln's dressmaker had a name, and it was Elizabeth Keckley. And the, everything you know about Mary Todd Lincoln, you know because Elizabeth Keckley wrote a biography. Hmm. So, like, for me, that's a misappropriation. Right. I don't fault her for having, writing a play that was probably a great role that she wrote for herself to play. But when she's going to erase from the narrative the person who made the narrative even possible. But had, did you read the play, or you just responding to the title? Oh, I was just responding to a non-POC person writing a play called Mary Todd Lincoln and her dressmaker, where every bit of data that had to come from it had to come from the dressmaker, who right. doesn't have a name. Yeah. Well, but you knew that in the play, it, 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 she didn't have a name. I mean, she I, didn't I, have I'm a not, name I mean, in I, the title. That was enough for the, me. But we don't know in the play. No, and I didn't want to know. I right. was being asked to give money to it. That was not going to get any money from me. <laughs> but if the play had been called you know, My Appomattox, you wouldn't have had that response Exactly. Because that would have meant she had taken some thought, but that she had actually had to think of a title and that somehow in her thinking of the title, she didn't think the dressmaker's name mattered. For mm -hmm. me, that is, an, is not seeing me as a brown person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can that see might that. not have been her intention at all. Right. Clearly, she wasn't thinking about brown people at all when now, she came up with that title. Disparate impact, like I was saying <laughs> earlier. It wasn't necessarily the intent to... It might not have been the intent, right. but I received it as you erased my people from the narrative. Right. 
What other what other annoyances can you? Uh, oh no, we don't have time for. That all could be your next podcast. My first annoyance. No, 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 no. But that's in this you know non traditional inclusive. Like I don't want to stop her from writing the play. Right. But I think someone has to tell her that's not okay. I was the person did it, and she was like immediately. I'm happy to add that name to the thing, and I'm like, I'm not trying to control your creativity. Right. Okay. But I do want to call you on the fact that. As a person of color, I clock the fact that you didn't include the name of a very historically significant person right. in my culture. Right, right. So what happened? Did you not produce the whole evening because it was all non-POC writers? Or? A very strange thing happened. There was a tie. All of the white people voted for it to be published. All of the black people voted for it not to be funded. All of the Asian people decided not to vote at all. They abstained? Which theoretically should have allowed it to go forward. But I think that the head of that committee knew that it wasn't worth going, locking horns with me about it. So they opened it up and a month more for more people, to, for people to actually find some people of color to, mm-hmm. to make plays in Black History Month. And they did find some. And I actually brought in someone who was a non-POC person who wrote a play about, oh my God, why was her name just fell out of my head. She was this beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, one of the first big band leaders. Name's not going to come to me, but she was passing. Oh, that's interesting. And I brought her in because this woman looked like a, you know, she was blonde-haired and blue-eyed. So it made perfect sense to me that this woman would be telling this story because she looked like the woman uh, whose life it was. Yeah. So it wasn't that I, you know, had a problem with a non-POC person telling the story or writing it. Yeah. So there was a happy ending. There was a happy ending. Some POC people got their plays produced during Black History Month. That's making me tear up. You're you're smirking, though. No, I'm not. You're sniping at me. No, no, no. I'm glad it had a happy ending. I don't know if it was a happy ending. It's just those are the kind of things that make my blood boil. Because I do think it is a, a people not... Like... You know, it's like when people say, I don't see color. Well, then you don't see me because you know what? I got a lot of melanin. <laughs> right. So it isn't a, it's that performance of tolerance mm-hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, being, for me, I, I, I appreciate when people are willing to put their foot in their mouth with me. Right. You know? I think what we we're, we were talking about, if we kind of summarize some of the things we started talking about back from your student onward, is that everything, so much as this is sort of uh, carried by language. So it was the pronoun that was the sticking point for this person, so to speak. Uh, the title was the sticking point for you. Um, and, you know, the um, I don't see color, this idea, which is a linguistic idea, ultimately. Of course they see it. They're unwilling. They don't want to venture into not, or look, they don't want to look beyond it or look with it towards something else. Uh, so these are all, show, you know, again, you know, thorny issues of language that we get stuck on. Uh, sometimes they have deep it's meanings not attached just to it. an no, issue of language. It, it can be. Because I love language. Yeah. It's an issue of not wanting to risk being wrong, not wanting to right. risk looking stupid, not wanting to risk offending someone. And ultimately, if you are interested in having a real relationship with mm-hmm. someone, those are risks you have to take. So for me, when you don't want to risk that with me, right. then I'm actually not important to you. And I often say... 
you know, yeah, when I care about somebody, I risk being radically honest with them right. because that's the kind of relationship I want to build with them. You can't do that with with everyone, though. I mean, there are too many people that you... You can try. Mm. It takes a lot of work, though, I think. What else is there to be alive for? Oh, yeah, I understand. I mean, they asked me to do a play. Here I go saying something I can't say. <clears throat> I was asked to do a Todd Salons play at the Flea. They brought me... They went, I wasn't asked to do the play. I was asked to do a reading of a, it. A play of his, not a film. A play. Interesting. A play. And I was told, oh, my God, this is the role. You've been waiting for a role. This is it. This is it. Come in. Let's do this thing. So we read this play, wonderful actors, and all of the other characters had monologues. They were arias. I mean, arias of neuroses. I mean, they were fabulous arias of neuroses. He's a wonderful, wonderfully talented writer. And my character spoke monosyllabically. Hmm. Yes. No. Hmm. More cash. Hmm. And it was a story based on uh, this Latino woman who murdered her um, two charges. And he had decided to make it a black woman. So, yes, that pushed my button. Hmm. That you're going to take something that isn't in my culture, put it in my culture, and then you're going to take my voice away in the play. And then at the end of the play, after she's murdered these children and she's in jail, she has a monologue about all the terrible things that happened to her. And I was like, that's not okay because there's just, I said, you know, I could play, I could play a child murderer. I could play Medea. I could do that. But in this play, I don't know why she murdered these children. Mm -hmm. And so her monologue after she's murdered these children is meaningless to me because I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> I hate her. I'm not going to care about her. And I said, first of all, as a black person, I recognize that every time I get on the stage, people are projecting that I'm going to be the bad guy. So when I walk on the stage, that is what I carry. I'm the bad guy. So you delivered on what the expectation was. You didn't surprise me. You didn't reveal anything new to me. And, and therefore, I'm, I'm not the actress. Well, he was probably writing that character as an idea of a character as opposed to a character, as opposed to a person. It was sort of a, an idea that he had, uh, a generalized sense of this person who did this act without really doing the work. I don't want to criticize Todd Salons, but why not? Um, doing the work to actually make it real, what you're saying. I, again, not having been part of that experience, but what you describe, it sounds like someone who he may not know why she killed those children either, except the historical fact that he was basing it on that a woman in a similar situation uh, killed her two kids from under her care. Uh, but he, you know, it seems like he just stopped there from your description of it. And or that go, character, because right. every other character was fantastic. They were fantastic. So it wasn't that he was incapable of writing great things, but it's like, why, when you got to the black woman, she is just because two I say, she was a cipher. Uh, she was an idea of a character as yeah. opposed to a person. You know, when I've written my plays, I don't see them as characters. I see them as people. The characters in my play, I relate to them as people. Uh, I mean, I sometimes use the language of, when I call them, I call them a character. But in the actual writing, when I'm writing it, I, I, I relate to them as people more. And, you know, maybe I can't distinguish between fiction and reality very well, but, but it's helpful for me because it makes it more of a, a, something, a reality that I 
have to live within and, and invest in a certain way. And Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply i guess for me it's it's I'm going to tell another story about me. Enough about you. Enough about me. Here's the story. I wrote a play, Red Pill, my movie that I'm making. And I love horror. So it's a horror film. And this is relating to the Todd Salon's play. And one of my oldest friends, I've known over 30 years, read, I asked her to look at it because she's a great design sense. And I asked her if she would look at it and give me some design ideas. And so she read it. And she's read other plays of mine. We've acted together. I've directed her. And she calls me up and she begins to tell me, you know, how talented, how wonderful I am, how much she loves me, how much blah, 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 and how, you know, people in plays need to have love and compassion and they need to be good people. And when you write something, it's a reflection of you and your ideas. And this doesn't reflect really well on you. Hmm. And I was like, but it's exactly what I want to say. And I really like it. And however it reflects, I've said what I meant to say. And it kept frustrating her. And she kept saying, well, I'm only telling you this because I love you. And I was like, well, actually, you haven't told me anything. Hmm. Why don't you tell me what you hated, what offended you? Something made her uncomfortable. Correct. So she got quiet, and she said, it made me feel like you don't like white people, and I might not be safe with you. Wow. And I was like, thank you. And for me, that was like the message I needed from the universe that I had actually made something that was making people uncomfortable. Mm. But beyond that, there was the question of, I said to her, so when you see these movies or plays where white men rape women and kill them and slice them up, do you not feel safe with them? Because you actually aren't safe with them. But you do you not feel safe with them? Do you know the idea right. that she could throw away a 30-year relationship because of one story that I wrote? Right. And then to carry that beyond, it's like, my whole career is having to separate people from the horrible depictions of my race and my culture that they make. Hmm. Well, it was a new experience for her, probably. The idea that you might, the discomfort of not being liked was probably a new experience for her. She'd never sort of imagined seeing it like that. Whereas you mentioned earlier, and you know, it's the lived reality that you uh, draw from. And that you that you is part of your daily experience, and so because that's new, I mean, this does not uh, this is not dis- uh, disconnected from the class issues really, because that often is what happens with the privileged group, whatever it is, uh, they see themselves as the baseline, they see themselves as the, the measure of goodness, if you will, and and it's hard to it it can become very personal uh, if someone suddenly says, well, yeah, but you're not the measure of goodness. Uh, 
or or your your a measure, but not the only measure. And suddenly, their whole basis of definition for not just themselves, but maybe a kind of a society that they saw in a certain way. But this seems like a very personal response, so it probably may be just individual. It, it shifts, and they're not used to that. You're not used to being anything but having your, if you're part of the elite of what, however defined economically or, you know, socially and certain, you're not, you're the one setting the rules. You're not, and living within the rules that your people, your group set. So you're not used to having those challenged in a way or uh, being held account for them. And so maybe that's what drove some of that personal experience and response. But it is curious. It's curious, but then it becomes, do those plays by other non by those POC writers, is that happening where stories like that that are making people uncomfortable aren't getting to the theater mm-hmm. because Possibly. they're rubbing people the wrong way? Possibly, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's true with a lot of political writing, really political writing that doesn't, uh, uh, that challenges certain fundamental things about militarism or about, you know, in the society. I've had that experience with my, uh, with poetry or even some of my plays that are very political. Uh, that I think that they don't, they can only be apprehended by decision makers in the abstract. They they can't penetrate into the reality of the play because oh that's about this or you know whatever the topic may be, and it, it shuts them down. You know there are gatekeepers and they come from a certain. It's it's become a less restrictive uh, in the last you know decades maybe, but at one time it was very limited to a very specific number of people and it's very hard to get through them if they all are from a certain class or a certain disposition or a certain, you know, whatever. Yeah, so what do we do about that? Of course, people go to the same schools and they know each other and people want to work with their friends and, you know, so then you you get into a a school or something and you look around and everybody looks like they came from the same community. Like, so then that's what the theater is that they make. Or even if they bring a POC person in, they bring a POC person in who has decided to adopt all of the same trappings of their class and their school and their culture. And so you just get the most, the POC person who is actually exactly the same. They just earned a different skin color. I understand. Right. And I mean, yeah, doesn't that speak to what the purpose of theater is ultimately? And if you see the, if you yearn for a kind of theater of reassurance, then of course you're going to stay within that. But if theater for you is meant to be taking you beyond your circumstances, uh, then then you wouldn't be. Isn't that what Clifford Odets was doing? I don't know. Well, I haven't heard from him in so long. Yeah, but I mean, there used to be a time when theater was showing us things that we didn't talk about. Right. You know, theater shook us up. Uh, Angels in America, you know, it shook us up. I'm trying to think of something that shook us up. Shook us up. The last thing that shook us up. Well, I think Fairview had that impact for some people. I know they, I heard from people telling me that it was true. Okay. Yes, tell me, what did it, impact did it have? Well, on the people that talked to me, uh, they thought that they similar to what we're saying. That last moment of the play, when you go on stage, they were suddenly they felt they were suddenly uh, made aware of that, you know, that shift that we were just talking about earlier. And these were white people. Well, that's how the play unfolds, right? right? Once again, white people were centered in a play by a exactly. black person that was supposedly about black people. Right. So she wrote a play for them because that was what they were paid to go see. Right. Right. I went to that play. I figured it out. In the first, before the play started, and I was like, "Oh, this play is not even for me." Did you see it at uh, Soho Rep, or did you see it I at Brooklyn? I saw it Brooklyn? at Tifana. Yeah, I saw it there too. 
And I was like, what? It's very, it, once you start, I mean, it's a play all about the ending, essentially. And once you start pulling back, it becomes extremely complicated. When you're asking some of the questions you ask, it becomes very complicated. And, and not, I mean, it's, it's slippery, you know what I'm saying? It's well, li- how slippery? Come on, let's talk about it. We have something now we share, a yeah. play in common. This has got diversity, it's got well, inclusion, I think exactly it's what got you're all saying. of that. And there was some smart stuff in it. Yeah, I think I think it's part of what you're saying. That uh, what I think you just said was that the writer was writing for a, a, a very specific audience, and and so part of the complaint is I can't reach my people in the in the, the last monologue, uh, which is beautifully written. She was talking about I want to be with my people, telling stories, right? My own stories, the the, the daughter character stepping off the stage and having all the. Yeah, People yeah, yeah. Wife, for me, right? it was just like some wine, and right. it was like back for me, which is the same quote right. I use all the time. James Baldwin, like, if I was complaining about how the white man was oppressing me, he would know he was doing his job. I'm like, like, let's like stop whining. Like, we can't keep asking the fox to stop eating the chickens. <laughs> let's, like, you know. But to get back to, but so that, that's a little bit slippery in the sense that she knows where the play was being produced. And so she's saying, which is not a black-centered theater. So it's right? a meta. It's meta. Not necessarily. I don't know how you're using that word. But what I'm saying is there are many black-centered theaters that could have done that play, and she chose to go to this other play. Well, I want to actually see it in uh, in D.C. Someone's doing it that's an, a, a POC person. So I want to see that interpretation. What do you mean a POC person? A POC person is directing it. So uh-huh. I think that whatever their lens on it might might speak to me. Maybe. It may be the same play, though. Who knows? I'm, I'm curious enough. I, I wasn't, you know, so taken out by it that I was like, I don't want to see what else could be done with it. But I think that the lens that was on it was so much a white lens that whatever she was trying to say as a black artist was lost on me. Right. You know, it's like you're a black artist. You're talking about the fact that you can't speak to your people because you have to get a white theater to produce you and you have to have white directors and all of that. Like, I don't know. I mean, I understand that that's the situation that the artists are in, but if everybody just keeps going, yeah, that's the way it is. So I'm going to just go along with it. I don't see that as making it move or change. I don't disagree in a certain way. I mean, I mean, it's, I think it's a play that if you spend too much time thinking about it intellectually, it starts to unravel its impact. That's sort of what I'm saying. Both in terms of um, you know, what you're just saying, that she could have had that play. There are black-centered theaters. There are fewer of them than there were a couple of decades ago, but they still are. Um, so to say that there's no place for my stories to be told uh, as my stories, that's not entirely true. Um, but, uh, and similarly... What is that story that's being told? All those characters are ciphers. All those characters are representations, right? Exaggerated representations. So that's really what it wasn't as if we were removing black story, right? It was never set up to be right. that. So that's also another complication. Uh, uh, maybe it added up well in a certain way, but I, as I said, the play is all about that ending. The ending, I, my, my person I went with was a person of color, and she was very moved by being in the audience. Was she uh, young? No. Okay. Uh, a little younger than we are. 
but not but not young. No, I know because I'm young. like an old New York theater yeah. audience critic. Like I'm like, ah, it wasn't as good as the first time they did it. Right, right. No, that's true. I mean, there are these cycles that we see the same thing being done, yes. either the same play or the same kind of thing. That's the new, latest new thing. But no, she wasn't. Uh, but uh, I, a, a white, older producer uh, that I know said it was the most uh, moving. Um, can't remember the exact quote, but the most moving rendering of race, play about race in, in America in the last 30 years, uh, which convinced me to go see it. Wow. Um, and did you feel that way too? No, but I, I, I had more value to me than, than it did to uh, uh, you, but in part because of the person I was with. Uh, and it, I was so it, moved. Yeah, I was so moved. And then it also and opened up a kind of discussion that we had. I feeling. Right. Like, I feel like if it moved you, then you know it's clearly worthy of all the acclaim and the praise that it got because... It's transforming people. Right. It, it just, you know, maybe I'm just at a different level in my life where that's not the thing I need to transform me. Right. Yeah. I'm glad we talked about that. I've not talked about it with anyone. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm mostly but alone you in my room. actually didn't tell us anything about what you thought about it. You kind I of did. equivocated and talked about what somebody else felt about it, and you didn't tell me what you that's really thought true. about it. Did you like it? As I said, my, my view was sort of in the middle. But I, I appreciated it, but I, but I had those issues that once you start peeling it away from the emotional impact of the ending, that last moment, it starts to not hold up intellectually. Uh, be- right, and if you don't get the emotional impact of the last moment, then for me, I was just annoyed. Because I figured out from the very beginning, because, you know, I go into the theater and I'm, I'm like, I like to solve puzzles. So I go in and go, okay, what's the scenic design telling me? What's the right. this well, And as you could see, you could see the so border like, of a I'm, television. I'm watching a TV. Right. Okay, exactly. this is a sitcom. Okay, I don't like sitcoms. I right. would never watch a sitcom. Okay, but why are they showing me a sitcom? Well, there's going to be surveillance right. because the name is Fairview. Okay, so I'm trying to get the puzzle. And then I'm like, I'm in a theater and listening to a voiceover, watching black people mime. Right. This is meta. This is over my head. I just want to feel something. I want to care. Right. And I don't. Right. But it's, ultimately, that was all a setup for that last moment. And as you say, it depends on how that moment worked for you. If it worked for you, it, it's That's a amazing. long setup. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like one of those people. You better show me in like the first act because I'm not coming to act two. <laughs> But well, there was Harry, no act break, right? No, there, there was no act break. Right. Harry, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about before we say bonsoir? Well, not knowing what we were supposed to talk about. Well, there is nothing we're supposed to talk about. Right. We're just supposed so to talk I about things you question. can't say. But is there anything you want to say? I didn't even know the title of the podcast until we well, sat down. you should have looked it up online, Harry. I'm I, your I, friend. I, I, I you live in the moment. You don't even look up and find out what I, don't, I do. I don't do podcasts. This is the <laughs> first one I've ever done and listened to, in fact. <laughs> you wrote a bio, but you didn't look up my podcast? There was a Google alert about it last week. Uh, what is a Google alert? Oh, my God. Oh, my. Are you joking? Well, I know what they are in the abstract, but I don't, I don't, partic- I don't partake in Google alerts. Oh, well, I have myself on a Google alert. You are. It, yes, tell me what I'm doing, because that's the only way I would know. <laughs> As I said, I mostly sit in my room. So. I mostly sit in my room, too. Anything that I didn't ask you that you thought I was no, going to ask you? No, but maybe we can come back and keep talking. And, and oh, is there yes. anything that you had in your notes that That's I didn't ask That's my shopping ask you? list, actually. Okay. Is there anything? No, not at the moment. But I'd love to come back and talk more. About what? About whatever. Like what? I don't know. Talk about class. Talk about art, theater. Okay. Your film, my writing. This is a theater podcast. I don't think I get to talk about my film. Though Dory said she might make an exception. Let me talk about The Red Pill. 
If you go on the Weekly World News, you can find out about the red pill creature. You've read about it, right? Yes, you sent me the link. And you have a new play? I'm not, uh, not, yeah, I have a play that was just presented, yes, the Dry Time. Okay, Dry Time, which was fantastic. Thank you. Really wonderful play. Why don't you tell us what it was about? Oh, we're continuing on? This is part of tell, Yeah, wow. we, we, until I say goodbye. Well, <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm waiting for this all to be edited out. It'll just be a monologue. It could be. Well, uh, why I stumbled when you said a new play, why I, I kind of hesitated to say is because uh, this is a play that I wrote in the early 90s, uh, which was essentially the first global warming-related play. Uh, dry time, and it was presented for the first time after about 27 years in this rather very well done stage reading uh, directed by uh, Lisa Day Evans and with a beautiful cast of about 13 mm -hmm. people. Uh, and it, uh, unlike a lot of plays that relate to climate change and all that's going on now, uh, this one doesn't try to make a case for the science, which I had been reading at MIT from the mid-80s onward. Uh, it just sort of accepts that as a given and looks at the social implications of it. Sort of each, each scene of the play are two, as you know. Yes, uh, I, cause I you was saw there. That, yeah. I was there. Um, are two scenes that overlap, uh, follow, and that take place more, at the, and, and they overlap and they constantly unfold together on the stage, although they involve different groups of people right. and nearby each other in the same period of time, more or less. And ultimately those two groups sort of the, the division between those groups get breached and they end up meeting, essentially. And one group is more or less refugees, climate refugees, you could call them. I didn't think of that at the time I was right. writing Right, I mean, for having been written 20 years ago, we are living that play right. already. I mean, that's, it's sad that right. that play has come to pass. What do they say? We're at 1.1 and we're definitely going to get to 2 and maybe 4 by the end of this Yeah, well, it depends on how century. you define it, whether it's actually, whether you measure the heat increase over land or over water. Over land, we're well above 1.5 already increase. If you take the total global temperature increase, including over the surface of the water, it's lower uh, because water retains heat longer. Water meaning the ocean, not, not you know. Right. The, the big water, as you say. But they get to, to curse, because you asked me to curse at the beginning of it, I think you said before, uh, when we were having the very brief rehearsal, but which about half of which it was six hours of rehearsal, but it was really done according to equity standards. Uh, so half of that, about an hour were breaks, of course, and then the half of that was staging, because we she wanted to, Lee wanted to capture the uh, the suggestion of the overlapping scenes, but only with music stands and that we had available to us. Uh, but shortly after we began the rehearsals, I talked very briefly because there was a limit on time you know, about the origin of the play. Uh, about halfway through, one of the actors said to me, he was playing the lead role, he was playing the, the writer, and it uh, said, you wrote this 20-something years ago? I said, yes. And he said, what are you, fucking Nostradamus? Mm -hmm. Which is really humorous to me, but um, you know, it's only because things have become so horrible that the play still has relevance. It would be much nicer, much better to have written a play that's totally disconnected from reality. Right, now. and and if we get to class, once again, we might say that this play might not get produced in a commercial theater because it's too much about a reality that we're spending our time pretending isn't a reality. Well, there's also mm -hmm. class issues embedded in the yeah in the play the very strongly. Very much about who gets to have water and who doesn't get to have water, and uh, who gets to have a party and who right. gets to sort who of watch it from a wall. Swimming pool and swim in water where other people can't even drink water, right. Right. which we're not. You know, Detroit sold all its water rights. Hmm. Or Michigan sold its water mm -hmm. rights to Nestle. 
yeah, people don't have clean water, but they could right. sell their water rights to Nestle. And so. for very little, I'm sure. Very little money. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy that I got to have this conversation. Yeah, this is great. It could be 10 years before we talk again. Yeah, let's meet in 10 years and do this again. Let's, let's meet in 10 years and do it again. Right. Harry Newman, Tiny thank Pinkins. you. I always think of your email, Newmanoff. And you are on the Broadway Podcast Network with Tanya Pinkins. You can't say that. This show where you can. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins. This is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Derek Gunther, music by Anthony Norman, available wherever you get your podcast. And visit me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and let me know what you'd like to hear me talk about. For more information, visit bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.